Subscribe to The Spectator this Christmas and get the next 12 weeks of print and online access as well as a bottle of Paul Roger champagne, all for just £12. This offer is available in the UK only. Go to www.spectator.co.uk forward slash Santa to subscribe. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, The Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Cindy Yu and I'm joined by Katie Bores and Isabel Hardman. So we've just had Prime Minister's questions. Isabel, how did you think it went? I thought it was an unusually and surprisingly weak week for Keir Starmer. He decided to lead on the nurses' strikes, which was you know, a very obvious choice, given that the first nationwide walkout by nurses ever uh, starts tomorrow. But he didn't quite get his prosecution right, ironically. One of the things that he did was allow Rishi Sunak to suggest that Labour was actually failing to take a position on these strikes and that uh, that Starmer wasn't actually asking particularly good questions, which, I mean, it's unfair to say Labour hasn't got a position on these strikes because I think where Streeting has been sort of reasonably clear that he doesn't support the 19% pay demand that the Royal College of Nursing has got, but that he thinks that these strikes could be avoided. What Starmer wasn't able to do was explain in greater detail through his questions how these strikes could be avoided, other than by repeatedly saying, all the Prime Minister needs to do is have a meeting with the nurses about pay, Um, which he didn't then say, and then this will mean blah, because actually the Health Secretary has been having quite a lot of meetings with uh, the Royal College of Nursing, and um, it's not entirely clear why the Prime Minister being involved in saying the same thing would make any difference. Indeed, it's the kind of thing that historically prime ministers tend not to get involved in uh, because it makes the dispute even more attention-grabbing and um, then means that they have a steady stream of unions from across the public sector demanding meetings because the prime minister is now ignoring the ambulance workers or the train drivers and so on and so forth. So I didn't think it was Keir Starmer's strongest session, which I was surprised by. He didn't manage to link the industrial action particularly effectively to the wider problems in the NHS. He did try to do that, that was clearly one of his aims, but he didn't make the argument effectively that the Conservatives are just not regarding the NHS seriously enough. So I think he will walk away from that having not moved the dial, having not really put pressure on Rishi Sunak, uh, which is a bit of a failure actually. Katie, how much more road does Keir Starmer and the Labour Party have in pursuing this kind of middle of the line position on strikes? Because as Rishi Sunak suggested, you know, they don't want to come down too hard on either side. But is that an impossible position to retain? Well, in truth, they don't have to really have their own solution because they're not in government and we're not that close to a general election. But I do think there was a certain, as Isabel points to, it wasn't, I don't think it was a particularly strong appearance by Keir Starmer because particularly because we are covering it, so we are seeing all these interviews every time. It does get a bit to the point where, and Rachel Reeves said this when I interviewed her the other week, I said, you know, well, you're saying they need to go get around the table. Where do you think, um, you know, the pay point is? And again, they don't want to get into numbers. I think there's an interesting piece actually by Sophie Ridge, um, the Sky presenter, who was saying she finds it really exasperating interviewing Labour politicians. But you can imagine all these people saying, what about the Tories? I think they're exasperating in their own ways too, just to get the balance in. But it was saying because they just will not get into the details on so many issues. And I think strikes is a really interesting one there. Now, of course, Rishi said I want to use the attack line that you're not standing up to them because you're in, you know, 
the pay of the unions, they're your master. I didn't think that was that effective either. I think the real problem is just, I genuinely don't know what a Labour government would do in terms of these strike deals. It feels as though they sit around the table and they might go a little bit above what the current independent recommendations are. But they don't want to be drawn on what percentage, probably because they know anything they say is not going to please the unions. And instead they're in this whole, you know, why not be an adult? Why not be sensible? Uh, which after a while, I think, um, doesn't suggest they actually have the solution. Yeah. I mean, but, but of course, if you are going to blame... The government, you're going to blame the government, not Labour. So, so you can imagine it. But I do think at a time when it feels as though there at least is some sense that the public are losing patience with some of the tactics of the unions, it is a trickier position to hold. Well, Isabel, I did think it was interesting that the chief nurse, uh, Ruth May, today has written to the nursing union to say, we're not happy with the way you've, you've dealt with this. Can you talk about that? I mean, is there a split within the health service on what the right, right way forward for the strikes is? Yeah, this is quite an interesting letter from the chief nursing officers. Not least because they, again, the sort of political culture of nurses is is very different to that of doctors. And if we look back to the pandemic, Ruth May actually basically disappeared from the Downing Street briefings because she didn't want to have to defend things uh, that she found indefensible, uh, such as Dominic Cummings, who appeared to be breaking lockdown restrictions. And... So it has been a very striking letter saying that they are genuinely worried about patient safety as a result of these walkouts. The RCN have been saying, well, look, you know, when we had a strike in Northern Ireland recently, there there weren't any casualties as as a result of that. But I mean, one of the points of a strike is to show how necessary you are as a worker. And so there has to be an impact on uh, the service that is being offered for it to make sense. There has obviously been a pushback in in the nursing world against this letter saying, you know, where were you when we were raising concerns about staff shortages and so on? And, you know, there is there is a lot of uh, bad feeling about the way in which nurses' morale has been, as nurses say it, dismissed during these talks. And it's been made all about pay when actually there's a you know, there's unions always tack lots of things together when they have industrial disputes. So it it is an unusual intervention and has garnered quite a bit of attention, but it has been slightly overtaken by events as well, because there have been further negotiations since then about the, the sort of minimum staffing levels and the sort of categories of emergency and categories of treatment that, that nurses will still be involved in. And Katie, today we also heard a bit more and we will hear a bit more from Stephen Flynn, the SNP's new leader in Westminster. How much of a different character does a figure does he cut to uh, his predecessor Ian Blackford I think he's a bit more straight down the line than Ian Blackford Ian Blackford I think was a bit more performative from what we've seen so far now we've only had two Stephen Flynn so far and it was interesting actually talking to a few of the Scottish Tories who said that they welcomed Stephen Flynn over Ian Blackford but they felt that on some days he'd be much better than Ian Blackford on some days he'd be much worse they've said you know he's not really a middle ground person he either puts in a really good performance or he misses it from their experience of dealing with him previously I think with Ian Blackford he almost became a bit of a comedy figure even though he was you know often saying oh look we're coming after you on this um and it it was not always a point when the the whole commons suddenly had a moment of silence to hear him speak and I think that today's question actually from Stephen Flynn was quite effective and I, I thought Rishi Sunak could have had a better response. So he was ultimately saying, while we're talking about how Keir Starmer was fairly weak today, I thought Stephen Flynn was, on the subject of nurses' pay, 
I mean, he had more work, more to work with because in Scotland they just managed to avoid the nurses going on strike. So he was saying, "Well, look what we've done. Will you now follow the steps of the Scottish government?" Which I thought was, if you think back to the COVID years, when often it felt as though COVID rules in England were following on from Scotland because Nicola Sturgeon removed first. There was a slight, I think, this sense that Scotland's where you learn from is something obviously that they would like to have. I thought. Rishi Sunak's response, which was, you know, well, we've given you some money. Really, if you look at where the money is coming from that they're giving the nurses pay, that would have been a a more effective response from Rishi Sunak to get into the detail a bit. But it did just show, I think, quite a straight question, which had a clear political point for him. And as well, meanwhile, it seems like Scottish Labour might be on the up. We've got reports of a potential return for one Labour former MP. Yeah, so Douglas Alexander, who was a key figure in the Ed Miliband years, uh, in the Gordon Brown years, has been around Labour for a very long time indeed. He is reportedly seeking a safe seat, uh, as much as any seat in Scotland uh, could be considered safe for any party that's not the SNP at the moment. And um, there are... uh, Reports today in the Times that he's been eyeing up East Lothian, a part of Scotland that Katie knows very well indeed, and that party activists are very cross about this. Now, this is interesting. I think it's really interesting that there are so many ex-Labour MPs uh, like Douglas Alexander, like Emma Reynolds, uh, lots of other figures, who uh, Heidi Alexander being another, who have recently decided that they want to come back into Parliament. Heidi Alexander stepped down, but the other two lost their seats. And sometimes when you lose your seat as an MP, you realise that there is so much more to life than doing that job. And you move on and uh, your life is much happier. And I think all of us in Westminster will bump into an ex-MP from time to time and not actually recognise them because they're so much happier. But it's different when it looks as though your party is about to win a general election for the first time in over a decade. And that's what's really interesting, is you've got all these big figures who are now thinking it's worth coming back. You know, there were there were even rumours that David Miliband, which, I, you know, I suspect that when I am old and being committed to a nursing home, the government will not have reformed social care and David Miliband will still be eyeing a comeback back in the UK. Yeah, but even rumours that he might deign to grace Parliament with his presence once again. So I think uh, whether or not Douglas Alexander makes it back in East Lothian, where they've got an Alba MP at the moment, uh, it shows that being a Labour MP is not as depressing a prospect as it has been for quite a while. Very interesting. Isabel and Katie, thanks very much. And thank you very much for listening. Remember, if you like this podcast, please do subscribe to us uh, and do leave a rating or review.